For dogs, we would not have improved on how we, how we are in our empathetic sort of abilities to work with each other as humans. So dogs helped us improve as humans to, to build our empathy. How though? Well, you think about it. You said you sh you shout and scream at a dog for for, for for six months, and you'll have a dog that bites, who's upset, who's scared. Mm. Dogs, you cannot train through your personality by being there and being strong. The only way you can make a dog do what you want it to do is by using an empathetic voice, yeah. by caring, by rewarding, by continuously talking in a tone. Then, even if you're going to do a negative reward, then do it in a way that the dog realizes that it's not going to be hurt and it's not going to suffer. Yeah. This is super fascinating. You're really passionate about this stuff, huh? Completely. I'm, I don't want to stop. I, what gets me out of my bed every morning is knowing that I've got to build a world where my daughter has the same options as, um, as my son. And how old are your kids? My youngest is 12 and my oldest is 19, 18, turning 19 soon. Wait, hold on now. You, you don't look that, you're not old, obviously, but you don't look like, how, how old are you? I'm 50. Next, no. Next birthday, 50, yes. Oh, wow. So, uh, wow, that's interesting. Okay. I didn't expect that. So you're, you're old enough to be my dad. <laughs> I'm, uh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm 20, I'm 28. Are you looking for one? Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking for a dad. <laughs> I need some help no, thank here. You, thank you, no, lovely. Thank you for the compliment. Yeah, wow. Um, no, no, it's something which I, you know, I work on. I, you know, I don't, I drink very little alcohol. I look at what I put into my body. I, I, I think there is. I think I spend the time doing. You know, like I clean myself and shower myself. I do a lot of mental hygiene. Yeah, I'm continuously working up my head and thinking. Well, what is it? What do I need to work on next? Where is my head not serving me and my environment to the best it should be? And and how? I don't want to get off track here, but just what are what are a few tactics that you're doing to kind of instill your mindset inside of your kids and I think that's oh, that, that was a lovely South African mentor she helped me by moving away from numbers and what came out of our like last one of our last talks was I need to get rid of all my key performance indicators in sales you know numbers that I have to reach things I need to sell and moved it to um, this is a nice one maybe you want to start doing this next week make sure that eight hours of your week are spent with people you do not know no, but I was relating it to your kids, though. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I was saying, I was saying, how, uh, how is, have you taken your mindset? I don't want to get too off track here, but how are you taking your mindset in the way that you view the world and kind of okay, instilling so it? How do I say it? Okay, I'll try not to swear while saying this. Um, <laughs> or use any profanity. No, no, no. Um, please well, do. If, yeah. like, that's one thing about me. If, if it naturally comes to you, I like that. If yeah, it's cool, like cool. not a natural. Well, I, mean, I, I just don't believe in the concept of bringing up children. I think there is, they copy you anyway, with all your flaws. So my job, I think, as a father is draw lines and which show clearly that their freedoms stop when another feeling, person's feelings get hurt. That's, so that's minutes, interesting. Do you see what I mean? Those are the yeah. lines I draw. So if my feelings get hurt, then that is where my respect lands. But if you've got a friend where there is no respect line and you can talk to each other how you want, then that's great. That's, that's where your friendship with that person is. Those are sort of things. And one of the key things is if, if they're going to copy you anyway with all your flaws, um, the best thing I can do is get out the fucking way as quick as possible. Yeah. Get out the way as quick as you can. 
Yeah. And let them unfold and become the human and the beautiful person they need to become. That does not mean you don't challenge them. It does not mean you don't question and you don't and you don't. But one thing you make sure is that you always, whatever you do as their father, make sure you create the position and the eye level that shows that you are also willing to learn from the child. Never forget to show your child that you can learn just as much from them as they can learn from you. What is your mindset on being so empathetic and so connected with your child that it almost comes across as if you are seeing eye to eye like a peer or a friend? Which is wonderful. Then you keep done something which most other people are not able to do. Yeah, because my, my mother did that for me. Uh, my mother, my entire life, has been more of a friend and a peer and eye to eye and always let me always let me voice my opinions at a very direct level but respectful level. Always allowed me to fail in front of her but also she was there to pick me up at times but at the end of the day she's always kind of been that friend and that guider in that way um, well, that's, I think that's letting go that's yeah. a mother who's learned to let go knowing that at one point she will stand back and be as you said um, a person that accompanies you through your life yeah. not a person that directs you or shows you because that's what you have to do yeah and this is what I mean. And that for me is exactly that phrase. You know, I phrase it in a way like get out of the way as quick as possible. So it's if, you know, yeah, because you do. Because what we do is we, not we, I'm not saying, I'm saying, you know, this is, this is idea that a parent has to, has to provide the model of success. Yeah. And I don't think that's, that's, that's got no truth in it at all. That's a, that's one of the biggest lies that's been sold to us. Super Whether fascinating. It's, it's whether it's the church, whether it's the mosque, whether it's the synagogue. I actually, to be to give all the religions their credit, and you know, if you need religion to, to find your way, then please do take it. Um, as it can, you know, and if it stays with yourself and within your heart, then it's a beautiful thing to do for so yourself. It's a framework, right? Yeah, it's nothing more than that. But one thing I've always liked about Judaism is the inbuilt doubt they have. And I find that's wonderful because it questions everything. That's interesting. You should question yeah. things, right? Yeah, exactly. And that you can see why they, in, in many fields, it's not uncommon to find people of the Jewish culture excelling hmm. because it creates curiosity. It creates the fact that you always question yourself. Where if you look at all the branches of, of Christianity, you, you know, you, you come to, you, you're born and you are um, in guilt. You are guilty and you have to earn your way into heaven. You, you said something, I mean? yeah, you said something that was pretty interesting just like a couple seconds ago. Curiosity, whether it's with an employee or a child or um, a friend or yourself, how do you foster curiosity? Because that was, I, I remember making a piece of content years ago. Um, I was on another podcast as when I was an entrepreneur and I was telling this individual that curiosity is the backbone to why I was having success at that time. Um, and I, I really couldn't put my finger on why I had such a high level of curiosity and willing and willingness to stay motivated to figure out an answer and to I a phenomenally good question, lean actually. into that curiosity. And that's a question which I think organizations, HR and everybody's been trying to answer. And all they need to do is really just scale your mother. Interesting. <laughs> 
I should bring my <laughs> so mom on as a consultant. You've got to basically create the algorithm your mom created with you and scale it. That's the answer to that one. And so, like, if you were to, like, look at your mother and the conditions she's created, let's say that because it's actually a really relevant example. Yeah. Because you had this, you felt this, you've seen, you yourself have been in the flow of curiosity. So you've been in a flow state where mm -hmm. you have felt curiosity at its best. So what is it that um, some, what, what are the conditions that your environment had which your mother created that uh, allowed you to feel that sense of curiosity, which is... To the degree, you know, she created um, an environment in which she saw interest in everything. Mm -hmm. She most of did not in any way whatsoever label stuff or with a value of negative and positive all the time. She said, well, look, do you think this helps you? Do you think this helps you on your way? What can you learn here? She most of continuously created some sort of condition of saying everything is is a place for you to learn. Well, you if know you what happened? Somebody... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Continue, I'm sorry. No, no, that's it. That's what I'm saying. That there are conditions that um, that, that have to be created. And yeah. these conditions is what leads to the feeling of curiosity. And to so me, one of the biggest ones is um, creating an environment in, in, in which you, when people walk in and they go, oh, this interests me. Yeah. How do you do that? What things do you need to do if you were to build, for example, a company or say a department? So like every time somebody who's not part of this department walks in, they go, wow, what do these guys do there? So from the minute they walk in, the first touch point as they walk through the door gets them to to feel like, wow, this is interesting. Yeah. Wow. Oh, okay. And then when you see that reaction, you know that you've created just in your environment the conditions for it to happen. Well, what what you just said something interesting. What happened to me was this. I rem I think everyone has a sense of curiosity at a very natural level. I think. A lot of people just naturally throughout life are curious about things and want to ask questions. So again, whether it's an employee or whether it's, again, for me in my situation with my mother, I remember in the early stages of life when I would ask a question that instead of being upset or closed off or telling me to hush up or telling me that that was, you know, no one usually says, no no parent usually says it's a stupid question, but saying that was a foolish question or or... or Long story short, instead of making me feel uh, lower than or bad or, or insecure about the question I was asking, she embraced and, and, and leaned into that question and then throughout time always allowed me to ask more questions and it really just came from a sense of comfortability. And so I was actually having a one-on-one -on -one yesterday and uh, I was guiding another manager we have of how to lead another uh, employee that we have and I was explaining to him that and, and your version of how you do things, it's just about making that person feel super comfortable in the second they push back or ask a question in a respectful way around a strategy or around something that we're doing, feed into that in a positive way, be, be generous, be kind, be nice, be direct, be empathetic. Don't make them feel like they should be scared or fearful to ask any more questions moving forward. Is that kind of so, what you're yeah, saying? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the way I translate that is then, you know, strengthen that little voice. Yeah. So that's what I mean. You know, if in a day, you know, as a young child, you're you're, you're exploring the world, and then it's about strengthening and um, giving like the container, container you create around this voice should be safe. Mm -hmm. So, and then you strengthen that voice, that little voice. So it can come out, isn't it? So it's on one hand, if like anything, so let's let's put like a little analogy on it. It's like you know you got the speaker box, 
and you've got to make sure the speaker is like secured well in it so it's got to feel safe to see that you know you've got to you know so the speaker can actually do its job to create music and sound and bass and all the treble yeah um, yeah that's one thing so the container has to be safe much you got the thing and then you've got to strengthen um you know you've got to amplify the music um, before it hits the speaker so it can, it can speak up and be who it needs to be as a speaker so that's what we I mean at the end of the day a child is nothing more than a speaker isn't it really yeah it speaks up and if you continue it, it, as a if you create an environment where they you know it's very very clear that the child should be seen but not heard yeah <laughs> yeah become the boy you've become you know the man you've become Anthony today it's like you would not be the curious person you still are today and likelihood is today it would be really interesting to see do, do, do the environments around you that you have today continually feed that in your curiosity yeah. or has it dampened your curiosity or frustrated your curiosity as you got older interesting so um Let's let's go this direction because we could go. That's yeah. I love this flow here. So, you were talking about employees, and you were talking about kind of the curiosity aspect and your motivations. Tell me a little bit more about the brand you're working on, and re- realistically, the motivation and the curiosity behind which started that brand. Let's go there. Okay. Then, so what got it going was really um, there's two aspects. There's that yeah, I'm passionate. I'm a passionate executive and uh, business coach, and yeah, I've coached over you know, multiple, you know, senior vice presidents, board members, you know, the 70 countries. And um, that was what was happening on one side. And then also having had my own teams, what also happened was the pain and struggle I saw with performance systems breaking people. People not, not able to navigate complexity, um, whether it's a matrix organization, whether it's their own team. And then introverts um, being ignored because of a personality trait, or maybe they grew up in an environment where they were quieter, and they saw more, and and, and, and I was struggling because I, I saw the unseen mm-hmm. and the unheard, and I didn't know how to amplify it and bring it out into the team and get them to, to get the people who thought they saw the future, to get them to see the unseen in the team, you know, the, the cognitive strengths, as I say, in psychology of, yeah. of other people. And that was this pain and struggle. And that's when I started realizing that, you know, um, you know why we put the way we picked the name through looking at a number of words around the world why we picked the name kokoro because kokoro is the integration of the mind and the heart because what it is in, in one word the japanese have created a word that measures how integral how complete something is and we were just thinking well look we, we you know we've been good we've collected lots of key performance indicators over the years we've collected lots of great data points in businesses we know how successful businesses look like but we've never really focused on the well-being of employees and integrated what actually helps the human to be the best thing. How do you bring your whole best self to work? Are you collecting, and that's what got the brand up and going, Kokoro. Are you collecting that data through um, natural life and working with these executives and just your overall professional career? Or do you guys work with, or did you or rather, or currently working with a research institute or how are you actually collecting that data or did collect that data as well, we're learning and we've got like we've got a good team on board so like you know I've, I've got a guy called Pavlos who is a great psychometric expert and knows how to measure he's a um, you know we've got we've been talking to um, people who are, are leading in the fields of emotions we're looking at people in London I know who work in the field of neuroscience yeah um, I'm talking to other people who work in organizations who've been working at a lead 
leadership level. So we, what I'm realizing, I'm bringing together an eclectic group of people from sports, medicine, um, business, um, from areas of measuring psychology, um, neuroscience. It's just, it's endless. And I've spoken to over five, six hundred people over the last five years. And the whole idea behind it is to say, well, what is the common thread? What is the thing that will create the conditions for a human to be the best thing, the best person they can be? And why aren't we tapping? If you look at all the longitudinal studies at human potential, why aren't we tapping the other 91% potential that we never tap mm. through organizations? You know, we're currently tapping somewhere between 7 to 9% of human potential in organization structures. That is a sad state to be in. Yeah. You know that, you know, the phenomenal levels of performance humans can get to. And what do you think can happen if we start to potentially that other 70, 80, 90%? Like, what would, I, what will we see different? Oh, I think there will be a number of things. I think there will be, um, um, there will be, for example, people will go beyond the concept of team. People will go beyond the concept of organization. I think they will start creating ecosystems that interrelate. I think competition mm-hmm. um, will become collaboration. I think out of that, people will will create environments um, in, in which we live in cooperation and collaboration with nature and environments and, and look beyond just I mean let's get let's, let's be let's be very very simple we're still struggling to look beyond skin color we're still struggling to look beyond sexuality between a man and a woman we're still struggling to look beyond um, well look can we just leave somebody with a million dollars and they run and we don't check on them is that a pro- is that a problem where you are hmm? I mean, I guess it's the global issue, but is, is the yes, sexuality the aspect... I don't think one place is better than another. I don't, want to, I don't think that we should have that discussion because I don't think it's about being better and worse than somebody else. Yeah. I think we've got to question ourselves as, as a group of people saying, why do we still... Why have we not created environments in which all skin color is the same? Mm-hmm. Seen as the same. You know, we are one human race. Yeah. There are different races. We're one human race. Why do we still struggle... Um, you know, when it comes down to roles between whether it's a gender role or the male role, you know, let's let's as two men sitting here, I don't want to look at um, you know one half of the world is women and, and, and we should really you know we we are I think we need more discussion around that. But as two men here, what is our job as two men amongst our male colleagues in organisations? And saying, well, look, where do we need to move as men? Because our role is changing as well. Our role is not the same as the role our father had. Yeah. We're struggling. More and more men are not able to even have that discussion or speak up about, you know, that, that, well, I'm not happy with the role my dad had or my grandfather had. I want to have my role. And how do we create the condition for them to feel safe to have that? Before they being, you know, some of them get bullied into, well, why are you trying to be different? Um, and organizations do this as well, just as much. And and these men are scared to, to even speak up. So do you see what I mean? It's not. No, I, 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 I think what will happen would be there will be a better conversation going on. How would it look like? I do not know. No, I don't think anybody can can foresee that. I can't. Yeah. All I can see is um, just what I do see is then when when I I see it in small aspects. So let me. I see it in the science world when I see that. Um, when you're in a laboratory and you see a team working in flow, um, how quickly they're able to iterate through the barriers, the hurdles of trying to create the next innovation in genetics 
or in the next innovation in, in, in medicine and how quick it happens when that happens. That's what I was thinking. I think, I think it, it, what you see is the speed of learning and the capacity you build of learning goes through the roof. That's where I was getting such a speed. Yeah, that's where I was getting to. Would, would learning increase? Would innovation increase? Would, wow. would 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 marketing efforts increase? Like how? Because that's that's going to be the biggest discussion, right? That's the biggest. I think what happened in marketing. I can be very specific about marketing. I think what will happen in marketing, it will move away from being an um, an attention fighting system. Mm-hmm. It's, it's continuously trying to attach to to attract attention, isn't it? That's what marketing is currently, and I think it will move from attention into intention. I think it will marketing will move into helping other people's intent. That is what brand for me means. It's like, what intention do we have as a company? What do we want to change in the world? And currently, the way I see the world working is brand is trying to infiltrate everybody's head and say, don't forget, you know, we want to be in everybody's head around the world. No, 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 no. You want to have an intention behind your brand so others feel attached to your brand and say, mm. I stand for this brand. You know, why do I like Patagonia clothes? Well, it's because they're going to put 10% of their revenue into ecological sort of initiatives to help the world be a better place yeah do you see what i mean so no, I, get it. I think marketing itself clearly is going to is moving i think marketing's golden age is, is over i think marketing is going through a crisis at the moment and it needs to understand the attention economy is over and it needs to move into an intention economy be intentional about what you want to do in your marketing because anyone that's going to be listening to this, right? Because that's where it's going to be. And, and honestly, I'm facing the same issue with, with the CEO that I'm working for at the moment. The, the issue that we're facing here is what we're talking about and what we're saying is a lot of emotion. And what they're going to be asking, what they're always going to be pushing against the issue is how does this benefit more dollars? How does this benefit more success of the brand? And and, and for me, and I'm sure for you, it's very obvious to me. Like, I, I, I don't even logically understand how they even have an argument but often cases they do so what would you say to someone where they just ask at a very objective level how does this connect to well first of all um what they're saying has no research in it it does so so first of all my first question would be okay look if we are going to you've got a point of view i've got a point of view and can we both agree that this can be data driven Mm. that if we could actually list the data for what I'm saying and what you're saying and prove that what you're doing is actually into more dollars. Mm. There is no research for their side. There's none, there is no, there is no, no data to show that what they're doing actually works. Mm. So the fact that you say, I will put a goal in the future and say, I want to become a $10 billion company and I'm going to use my brand and I'm going to use my salespeople and I'm going to set those goals. But I'm going to set goals for my brand. I'm going to set goals for my people. I'm going to set goals for, you know, um, um, for the market. Um, and I'm going to create a corporate strategy and I'm going to get people to run towards that like crazy and that's going to have a major impact on my bottom line there's no data and no science to prove that works in fact there's more data to, to show that there is no science behind that because it doesn't work it's broken so what's been happening until now um, well, hold happened. on let me let me push against that what they would probably say is it's working I I have a 30, 50, 100, 600 million dollar brand. I have money in the bank. My employees uh, are, are, are wealthy to, to some degree. You know, the executives, the, you know, the, the, the business is running. So well, I, I, I think that's only one or two companies in the world who are like that. I, I think there is a mistake there. I think companies like Nike, which have had, have been very intentional about their brand, 
you see the direct link between their intentionality and their brand by saying if you have a body you know you are an athlete that, that brand has not changed their message has not changed mm. and that message has stayed strong and they've worked on that um, and that has that is directly correlated to um, the bottom line in um, you know in on, on, on the market you see it it's a direct link um, and no other company has done that research I'm sorry they haven't there's no other brand that does that I mean coca-cola you could say that but they you know when you look at the drinking habits of even Americans today people don't drink pop and coke they're drinking it less and less yeah because they know that sugar is online it's just as bad as smoking a cigarette. So people are changing their drinking habits. So every time they eat their burger, they say, look, can I have a glass of water, please? And they're being, there's a group, there's a large group of people throughout America and Europe and, and the world saying to Coca-Cola, what is your next step? What is your next step? What is, what are you doing for us to make sure our children's lives are going to be healthier? And they don't think Coke is the only solution to their thirst. But because it's not. And do you see what I mean? So I'm, yeah. I'm well, I push back on these people. It's not in, 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 in saying, look, I, I want to be data driven on this. And, don't bring out the token one or two companies that are, are killing it. Because when you do look at them closely, they're killing it because they're intentional in what they're doing. Well, let and me they say are this. trying to move. So, so that, what I'm really referring to is the emotional aspects around leadership, around culture, around developing employees. So, so I'm going to give you a practical example of a company that I know yeah. of right now. There's a company that I know of right now that has a horrible culture, horrible... Um, leadership base of how they interact with their employees and how they develop those employees and care about those employees careers and the career trajectories and all that good stuff right everything that we loved and we talk about but this business is doing probably about 110 115 million dollars per year now the 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 ceos of this company um have, have come up from africa they're a success story they are so happy that they're able to drive these Mercedes G-Wagons and take three vacations a year and provide jobs for 300 or so people. And their mindset is, it's clearly working. We have the money in the bank. We are doing an excellent job with our product, with our service. Why should we focus on these other variables? Why break the, why, why fix something that's not broken in their eyes? Okay, what do you say let me, it's actually, I like this sort of question because it's something which I, I, you know, I see being talked about in the literature and they've got no solid yeah. answer for it either. Yeah. And um, I, it's because they, people are not willing to sit there and realize that terrible leadership, terrible behavior creates, makes the same amount of money as good leadership and good behavior. There's no difference. So why would so it change then? It makes no difference. You will make the same amount of money if there's a need in the market, it doesn't matter if there's shit leadership, leadership or good leadership, it both makes money. Now the difference is, what is the difference? That's the thing, so if both make good money, what is it? Why why, why should we then veer yeah, towards talk being, about this, yeah. creating conditions for humans to grow? Um, because when companies do, they don't make 100 million, they make 500 million. Okay, yeah, of course. Um, what also happens is, you don't have broken people at the end of the year. You have people who are in flow and they're ready for the next year jump in sales. What you're currently doing is you, you have not been able to measure the amount of energy you have to put in to keep people at the standard they you're currently running at. Because every, at the end of every year, everybody goes, I'm leaving now, I've had enough. So turnover 
you must have got no loyalty in the company. People don't work for the company. They don't yep. care about the company. What they do is they work for the local team. They say, look, I love my people and my team. And currently, because of my, my family situation, it's not worth it. I don't want to go anywhere else because I've got my two kids. I've got this. I've got my house. Yep. And, you know, the company's doing well and it's going to have a future. But, you know, we could make this even better. But they don't want to listen, so it doesn't matter. Yep. So they're, they're not working for the company. They're working for the local sort of team or department where they are in the company. And they don't, they don't really, they don't, they have no respect for the company at all. And that's the difference. Well, good leadership, well, let's say not even the word good leadership, leadership that leads to exponential growth does, builds loyalty, builds an emotional bond with the organization. It creates the conditions so these people go home and they talk to a hundred people weekly about how they love their company. And okay. if you could measure that, It'd be interesting to see if you took all of the 300 employees and how often they talk well of their company as they travel through America or to other parts of the world and say, do you know what? I wish you'd come work for my company because you could see how it could really look like. I'm sure nobody does. And that's the difference. <laughs> Otherwise, um, good or bad leadership makes the same amount of money. They make, there's no difference in money. What happens is the, expo- the possibility of exponential growth goes up. What you're saying is that the base of what they make is the same. The upside, the upside on the positive leadership and the positive culture, dramatically increases the amount. Yeah, and you see that. That's yeah. it. And I'll show you. I'll give you one example of a company. And I'll name them as well. They're called um, Binderholz. They're called Binderholz um, does wood, and they're the only company in the world um, that have no emission. So they are not only clean as a industrial company they are clean that means every ecological impact they could possibly make as a factory it gets captured and reused and rechanneled into energy and the people on the production line have helped the, the four brothers and sisters to to make this company mm-hmm. and um, it's the only company in the world that does um, something like this it shows you that you can capture all smoke, everything a factory can create and reuse it and, 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 and build it into energy again and, and use it in the factory. Mm-hmm. And they they grow like crazy. They do 1.2 billion. Um, they also have an innovation center. On top of that, they have 30,000 visitors per year that come from all over the world to visit the factory. They're creating multiple businesses on the side because they've become almost like a museum and also a future tech sort of museum. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just shows you it just and, and, and how do they, I mean, uh, is the family hierarchical in their leadership approach? No, they set very clear standards and levels of quality, and this is what they expect, and the people innovate for them. Do you see what I mean? So no, I keep it. seeing these companies, but nobody talks about these hidden champions. I, I find maybe it's a, a chance for us to look at the hidden champions where it does work. And I think the thinking is broken when somebody says, well, I'm making 110 million with 300 people. And you think, okay, let me go to a company which only has, you know, let's take, let's take a similar company that has the same amount of, you know, people as you. And why are they making 1.8 billion and you're only making 100 million? Yeah. 300 let me let me ask you a question. Let me ask you something that I, I that I have thought about because I've told you my background. Um, I don't know if, how how often I've actually talked about it on the podcast. I probably need to do more of that. Um, I, again, I was a former entrepreneur, uh, former athlete. Um, so a lot of my leadership methods and perspectives um, come from two areas: come from just living life and being a leader, as well as come. They come a lot from a lot of research. Every year over the last five years, I've studied for a minimum of two hours. Again, 
talking to people like you, reading blogs, talking to people, uh, talking to other leaders, just trying to find different ways, reading research, like trying to find different ways to, to put this information in my brain. But one thing that I've always realized throughout this entire process, this entire five, six, seven years is this. At a very core, simple level, aren't we just talking about being a good human being and treating your employees literally like you would probably treat your son, daughter, cousin, uncle, friend? Like I've always said this, isn't it? Isn't it just very simple at that at that simple of a level? Why can't we just start out there? Like, why do we have to put a different cap on our heads when we go to work? Like a different mask, if you will. Like we have to jump inside of the uh, inside the phone booth and put a little Superman cape on like we're going to business. And then when we get out, we can joke and play and bullshit about a couple of things. But then as soon as we get back into the office, it's all serious. It's all business. It's all all my emotions and my emotional intelligence, and my ability to be empathetic and kind and courteous just goes out the window. Um, well, Anthony, I, I agree with you. I, the only question I'll ask you back is: yeah. um, Are people really treating their children and their uncles and aunties and their parents the way they should be? Because so, very often, the way they walk into organization is the way they've been treated at home. That's super, the way they navigate yeah. complexity in organizations. The way their parents have told them to navigate complexity by being pig-headed, by being arrogant, by being full of yourself, and then walking into the wall a thousand times until it works. That's super fascinating. I thought about that when I have heard the, I thought about that recently actually when me and the CEO were trying to make a decision on whether we were going to promote one of the best employees that we had from a logistics and technical and black and white standpoint to a position where he would be more emotionally leading people. And I tried to explain to the CEO that just because they are naturally good at their job does not mean they're going to be a natural good leader of people. And what you're saying is exactly right. Who these people are on a day-to-day basis with their kids or with the business rather may very well be the same people that they are at home when they're, when they're at home with their wife, when they, when they're at home with their kids. And in my situation, again, I don't believe that you should put someone in a situation to lead other people if it does not come natural to them and 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 if they're not open to trying to be in that environment will begin to slowly become natural to them right well uh, yeah exactly i'm fair with your second answer there i I think leadership is nothing more than a human with skills yeah i was going to say put them in the environment do i fair with your second one on that and i'm saying look if you do find somebody then and you think well look they are great at their in their role they're phenomenally good um i so I, I know, I'm going to step back and, and give you an idea like yeah. where I come from. I think there's something fundamentally going wrong. And what I mean by fundamentally going wrong is I think um, the way we look at the world, the way we're observing the world, is, is, is it needs to be addressed. So the way that we're currently working is like this. We say, okay, um, I, need, I know this person and I think he might be good in this role. Mm-hmm. So I create this role and then I will now make this role do this work. Mm -hmm. That's the way we currently work. So you look at the organization, you go, oh yeah, I like him and I like her. Well, hang on, could we give them more role? Because we need to get them into a better position because we would make more money if we get them into a higher position, Mm -hmm. a more strategic position. So what what could they do then? And I think the process there is wrong. I think what you should do first is sit there and say, look, what, what needs to be done looking 12 months into the future, two years into the future, depending on the market, the way your, 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 you know, your, your market works, your organization works, the, you know, the learning cycles you need, the product you build, and say, well, look, what work needs to be done now? 
Um, and what role do we need to get that work done? And who, because it's complex, then the question comes when it comes to complexity, who could fulfill that role? And what does that person need to accompany them with, whether it's a coach, whether it's you, whether it's a group of people, to help them transition into that role? But you first always start on what work needs to be done, what work do we need to achieve? If it is creating a new product in a new space, in yeah. a new spe- in a, with a new image, so we can test out a new market, then it's okay, what role will take us there? Will a product manager role take us there? Or does it need to be a strategic product manager? Do we have to give it a new role? Maybe if they create a new role completely. Yeah. And then we can go out and look for the person. And currently what we're doing is we're always looking at people and looking at people and thinking, oh, he or she could fill this role and this role can be, and knowing that fails miserably and keeps failing. And nobody has changed that. Well, and that's why you, Anthony, you know, you're, you're questioning really, is that process? You're saying, well, maybe it'll be interesting to see how they look at themselves in their family. Wouldn't that be a fascinating... What role do you have in your family? Mm-hmm. And if you're the one that reminds everybody of everybody else's birthday, you think, oh, cool, look. <laughs> and then you actually you start working in a different way. You start realizing, okay, how come you come from a big, massive Italian family and you always seem to navigate everything really, really well? What skill is that? Mm-hmm. And what role do you play in your family? Can we have two different types of leaders, though? This is what I was actually saying to the CEO yesterday. Can we have... The guy that I'm I'm talking about in my head right now, can he be a leader in the sense that he works behind the scenes and helps us from an operational standpoint, a strategy standpoint, a product development standpoint? Can't he be working behind the scenes, hand in hand with other leadership on very strategic aspects of the brand opposed to leaders like myself who are more intact and engaged with the emotional centers of the employees like aren't there two different types of lead- like aren't there operational leaders and there there are more emotional you know uh galvanizing inspirational type leaders aren't there two different types if your container in which you work allows you to create new roles then there are a million types of leaders that's where i'm that's what i want do you see what I mean? So what you're talking is exactly what you what you're doing. You say what work needs to be done, what roles do we need to create to make this work, to get this work done? Yes. Based on where we are today as a business and the container we've created in which we build this business and interact with the market. Yes. And if that's the case, then you can then say, well, look, we need to have these people to fill these roles. And maybe some of the people are not in this organisation and we're not attracting them yet because we didn't we didn't we didn't advertise these roles. Yes. That's what you're doing here. So yes, there could be 2.5 leaders. There could be six leaders. There could be 29 types of leaders. As long as you feel this is what fits in that container, that's fine. I got no problems with that. I think that's wonderful. The fact that you are able to sit there and say there's two definitions of leaders, I think that's great. Most people can't get past the great man theory. They think that everybody's waiting for a great man to come along and fix everything. Yeah. I just, yeah, you're all down, you know, everybody's waiting for this, you know. Yeah, you know, he's, he's just a talent, isn't he? He's born. There's no, no, no. He came out of every, he came come out of, everybody comes out of, 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 you know, out of a woman. Yeah. And at that point, all the conditions around them kick in to make them who they are. So if you're born in an environment where there is money, there is wealth, there is opportunity, you can go to Europe and learn six different languages or two different languages. You can go, you know, you, you don't have to worry about paying back your university loan. That's going to help you. Don't That's even get me started you. on that. Because <laughs> I'm in America. 
to uh, I'm saying no, no, but let's just apply this to uh, uh, yeah, no, I know, yeah, just America. Yeah, is crazy. Because, you know, we, we all know, we all feel this uh, as as you know, people of color. Yeah, and you can't avoid that topic. But yeah. then apply it to an organization, and then say, well, look, what can we do differently as an organization? So when that when they touch our business, they know they can blossom, they can yeah. thrive, they can become the people who they want. And if they feel that their leadership role is not right, um, they can come to us and say, look, I need to get this and this work done. And I think my role needs to be adjusted. Anthony, can you help me create the conditions of the organization so my role is allowed to be? Yeah. And say, yes, of course I can. And what do you think this role is going to do? Well, it's going to do this work. This is going to create the foundation to take our business to double the income, to double the sales next year. And if we get this right, we could do a phenomenally good job. And do you know what? I think I can create another 20 roles for us, Anthony. Mm-hmm. If I've got a person in the organization that can do that and sees that and has got that foresight, um, all it is for us as the key people in the organization to create the condition so more and more of those people come and speak to us. Let so me... I don't know, what, what conditions do we create so that we attract these people into our office? They come running in and go, I want to do this and this and this, do this and this, Anthony, and go and do it now. And then you get into the space of like your job as a leader is to serve, serve the organization and the conditions. It needs to get these people to, to give their best. And those people will be loyal, they will stay, and they will help your company grow. Let me ask you, no, continue, I'm sorry. That's it, that's it, I'm done there. So I mean, all I'm trying to show people is that if you do not step back and say, well, look, what conditions do we need to change? So very often, you're sitting there talking, is this person the right person? Well, you think, well, why don't you create the, why don't I change the conditions yep. of the container this person's in and see what happens? Yep, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that person is already in that role and you don't know, they're just waiting for the conditions to change. Yep, they're just waiting To change for that. the rules of the game and the system and they become that person. And I think whether, I, I think startups are more inclined to do that rather than bigger companies because bigger companies always believe that they have to be handcuffed to this to, to their process and their operations and the way that they had their system set up. Yeah, but that is also is, um, I think that has to do with this. Um, I don't want to go into the history of this because I think if you touch history, then you'll have to go into you know areas of religion again. Yeah. But there is, let's say the world has, um, has one small thing it needs to let go of, that there is control. There is no control. You yeah. don't control anything. Yeah. And if you go, if you can get, if you can get beyond that thought philosophically in your head, if you can get to the idea that there is no control, then things become a lot easier in life. We'll stop. Can I ask you a question? Something that this is going, this is off the wall a little bit. This is a little bit to the left of the conversation we've been currently having, but it's a question that I've been dying to ask, and I've been a little bit afraid to ask people like you that are much more senior than me, that have a lot more experience than me, because um, I feel like it's a an idiotic, very dumb question. They're the best. They're the best. They're the best questions. So, when I when I ran my company, I, I got it to a little. Uh, again, I told you about this. I got I got it to a, a decent level where I was able to implore people. I was able to um, find different ways to impact their family. And the the conversations that I would have as far as payments and salary, this is how I would really do it. I understand profit margins and I understand cash flow and I understand taxes, I understand savings and, and, and all of those things. So let's take into account that what I'm going to say, all those aspects of the business are taken care of, right? Um, I have a good grapple on the, the cash flow, the savings, the taxes, the uh, all of those things are broken down and all those things are taken care of. Now, 
the way that I handled all of the people that I worked with was this. I had a simple conversation, a very honest conversation. And, and I got to the truth in a number of different ways. What do you need in life to be comfortable? Not what do you not? What is your ideal? I want to be a millionaire. I want to make three hundred thousand. Like, what do you like? What are the what are the things that you have in your life that are a must that are a need based off of your your comfortability? Like, what type of vehicle do you like to drive? What uh, what type of foods do your does your family like to eat? What do you typically like to save on a monthly basis for your family in case of emergencies? How many vacations? Like, what does an ideal life at a very simple level look like for you? And what I would try to do throughout the course of six months, six years, whatever the case is going to be, I would try to find different ways that the business could be conducive to that to that number. Um, I never looked at Indeed or LinkedIn or any other places and try to match a salary conducive to what the market says. I always tried to be empathetic and respect what they needed in their life because I knew through my life, I grew up very poor. Uh, my family to this day is very poor. I support my mother and my dad to this day. And I know what it feels like to be worried, worried about finances. I know how much energy that takes out of you. I know what it does to your mental state. And so what I always try to do is if, if the company could do it at the time, I would try to make it conducive. If we, if we couldn't do it at the time, I would try to, it would motivate me to make more number one, but number two, I would try to not make promises, but I would try to strategize different things in the future to try to get as close as I could to their ideal world. I've been told by not experts, but I've been told by just your common people, your everyday people, uh, friends, family, other coworkers that I'm crazy for that perspective, that it's not smart business wise. Um, And in my gut, I've always said, if I become an entrepreneur again, or if I have the opportunity to really make the decision of what people get paid in a company at a very strategic level, if I have a strong say at the table, I want to try to instill that and put that in place again to some degree. Am I crazy? No, not at all. I think you're trying to build a um, a caring organization. Now, let me get into the science of that now. So, for me, you've won my heart. I think there's a number of aspects you've, like actually put in question here number one um i think the, the big the big thing is how responsible are we as organizations to build the employee experience or the associate experience yeah and i think that first starts with the contract so what it will mean is that you'll have to look at the contract you create for each and every employee in the organization so that means there you will have to get to a point and understanding that everybody that joins a company and the first time they touch you is going to be through the contract Yes. And if the contract makes them look like a criminal already, as if they're going to abuse and take everything they can from the company, then it's not going to help. But if your contract betrays the idea that, look, for me, this is your team member. You're not actually an employee. Secondly, I feel it's our responsibility as much as it's yours to have a discussion about what is necessary and relevant in your life to make you who you need to be so you can express yourself professionally and personally. And I find that's phenomenal. If you could create a contract that allows people to have that discussion with the organization, what are all the other touch points you're touching just by doing that? And I find that fascinating. Yeah. So what will happen then for me is you'll do one thing, which I think is wonderful. What you do is then, if you get an organization to compare itself to itself, then it can learn and grow and be stronger. 
But if you're continuously comparing your organization to other organizations out on the market to see if you're better or worse, it breaks your organization on the long run because all people become competitive because they're saying, well, look, I don't want to work for you, Anthony, because they pay me more over there. You're thinking, look, for our context and our circumstance, we're doing the best we can here. And if we become better, we'll pay you more or we will create your experience. We will increase the experience of you being with us. Mm -hmm. And so these are two different types of comparison. One is called social comparison. So social comparison means like, if I said to you as your father, hey, Anthony, do you know Peter up the road? Man, he's such a lovely son. He's such, he's so good. Why can't you be more like Peter? Yeah. If I did that every day to you, with the contract between son and father, I'd break you as a son. Yeah. But if I do temporal comparison, which I say, my son, how can I help you to be stronger? How can I help you to be the better, you know, your best person? And I keep getting you to compare yourself to yourself, you'll grow. So what you're doing there is actually touching on the fundamentals of what makes humans the best people they can. Yeah. So I would, from a scientific point of view, underline and say, go for it, Anthony, you do it again, you keep doing it. Where people are struggling and why they're giving me pushback, is because they don't understand the science behind it. Yeah. And it's also the issue that I have is the only context that people have, the only information that is plugged into their subconscious is what they've been seeing, reading, and understanding throughout their entire life. They say, well, that's not the way this company does it. This company goes on Indeed or LinkedIn and they look at the salaries. Well, this guy at that company is getting 47000 US dollars. So why should we pay them anything more than forty nine fifty? Like, why should we go above and beyond? Like, and and I've always said to myself again, and I, it's all it's all through empathy and through my own experiences. I've always said and I always questioned. Well, they may need sixty three, and we have the ability to give them. To, it's right here. It's the, it's not even like the thing that drives me crazy is okay. I get at a logical level if it's not there. If it's not there, it's literally not there. You never want to break the bank for the business because if you break the business, now you have nothing. Now you don't have any abilities to impact anyone's life because there is no business. But And everybody understands that. Yeah, everybody. everyone can understand that. But if it's there, and they, they clearly need 63, like you've had, and again, it's all about a conversation. Like, And that's where it really comes from. I've always been good of having these very friend-to-friend, homie-to-homie, emotional conversations. Let's just let's just break it down. What does your life really look like? Like, like I don't, I just don't want you to be in a financial threat state. Like, I, I don't want your brain in that. I don't want you to have that threat response going off in your brain every single day because I know you're going to be making short-term decisions. I know you're going to be considering working at other places the entire time. Well, honestly, I mean, I, I don't know America um, well enough yeah, because um, I've never lived there. But one thing I do hear from all my American colleagues that I've worked with over the, the last thirty years, yeah, is it would be interesting what organizations from small to large could do to change the whole health system in the states. Yeah, and um, I have, you know, on one hand, Americans who believe there is improvement possible in the system. And I have other American friends who believe that healthcare is a privilege, and if you don't have the money, you shouldn't get it. Mm-hmm. They, they know this, this, you know, and you know they think, well, no, you don't deserve it. Well, you know, um, why? You just don't, you know, you just don't make the money. You don't, you're not, you haven't been good enough at university. You, you know, it's 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 like it's a it's a whole idea of a meritocracy where I 
I come from a firm belief, like, you know, the way you talk about paying people um, is what I think about health. I think there's one number one priority for all countries around the world. No matter what government, the first thing you put on top is education and health. Yeah. And that's taken care of first. Yeah. Like you talking about money, like, you know, if you want to have a healthy employee in organization and you stand for well-being, then the first thing is you take the money topic off the table. <laughs> you don't want to have that. If they're coming into your work and serving your customers, one thing you don't have your own is one of your employees, you know, one of your people in your company struggling to make day-to-day work. And it might need just a little bit of help over six months to say, oh, I can see, oh, I see. Oh wow! Okay, you need another hundred thousand of it this year. Look, do you know what? Our company could afford to pay off your house now, so you don't have that worry, and you can continue work for us. And um, we love your work. Why can't the company do that? Why don't and, I? I, just, I never it, understood why this doesn't happen. I, 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 well, the thing is, it's happened in history all the time. I'm sure it has I happened. Up, why isn't it happening? I, mean, I grew up in Karachi um, with my mum's brother. He was a, a senior naval officer in the Pakistani Navy. And he had two people who served him, and they obviously they served us as well. You know, every morning my 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 clothes were ironed and ready, my breakfast was ready, everything. I, I didn't have to move. He, the guy even taught me to drive the car in the yard, even though I was underage. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing was, my my mum's brother, my mom always made it very very clear that they ate at the table with us, made it very very clear to us that he will pay for their children's lives and this school system and make sure that they don't have the same lives as their parents. That's, that's what my mum's brother thought was his job to do so. And he says, well, I, and if you need extra money ever, people that work for me in my house, you will get that money. Yeah. These people loved him to bits. We, we, we saw him, uh, the, 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 the two men that worked for my, they were our uncles. They were not our servants. And there's that belief, it's like, you know, no, 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 it's always one of those things. I mean, there's Adam Grant in the US, who's also proved it now, academically. I'm Adam Grant, um, that uh, is the organizational psychologist of, um, where, where, he's the organizational psychologist for who? Um, he's not only that, he's also, um, he's a professor, I think, I don't know if he's at MIT. At the Wharton School of Business, Kellogg. right? He's at one of the top, but I just yeah. know his book, and one of them is giving and taking, and he's, yep. and he's, and he's proven from a data-driven perspective that giving is the way to go. Yep. Taking. Yep. Give, and give as much as you can. And yep. there are, you have those organizations in America, and they do it really, really well. It's, it's, it's you know, a, you know, a, a, you know, I know people that work for companies in America where they're, phil- you know, they're, they're, they're philanthropists, they give a lot to society, they... They give to their people, they help, you know, if they are an employee, but also a triathlete, they, they buy them their bikes, they sponsor them because they value what they do in their local communities as well. And I find this, this will always help you grow. And there's one economic model that we know that works today, Anthony, and has worked for thousands of years. It's that if you take care of your neighbors and you build good relationships and you will have a thriving economy. Mm-hmm. You will have a thriving economy, yep. and that's the only economic model that has proved itself. No other economic model has proved itself. Yep. No others. All other people fight over it. They fight over all types of economic models, and one's got better arguments. One one decade, the other one's got better arguments the next decade. But this one economic model that has always worked is that eighty percent of your business will be done with your neighbours. Yeah. To take care of your community. And we are seeing now as digital technologies take grip 
But the thing that's going to hold us together are going to be the community workforces, the community spaces that we create in our companies. Yep. And if that is about what, and the SAP CEO said this about four weeks ago on LinkedIn and his video went viral and he says, look, if you do not take care of yourself, you will not be able to take care of our customers. Full stop. End of story. So well-being, taking care of yourself, mental hygiene, physical hygiene, taking care of your, you know, your team members, taking care of yourself as a team, taking care of yourself as a department, as part of a business unit, as part of a whole region, is what's going to make you strong as we move deeper and deeper into things being automated, digital technologies, scaling and taking care of all the annoying parts of our lives that we just don't want to do anymore. So let me ask you another question, actually, that, that leads to what you just said sparked an idea I had. What do you do when, um, what do you do when you have an employee that is not used to something like that, that is not used to someone caring at that deep of a level? Uh, and I'm, and, and every question that I ask is coming from something I'm usually going through. Um, I have a guy that, uh, that is just very thrown off by how much I want to know about him, how much I care about him off the off the get-go. And it's almost to a point where I've had to take a step back because I've noticed that it, it, he feels like it's a little bit intrusive. I feel like he feels like it's a little bit too, he's used to, he's used to the traditional American business. I go to work, I'm cordial and I say hello to my coworkers, I leave. I'm respectful, but I don't expect the leaders to know too much about me. I don't want to know too much about you. I'm in and out. And uh, that's not the way that I run my leadership. And that's not the way that our organizational employee experience is kind of set up. Um, And I've had to be a little bit empathetic and, again, take a step back because I've noticed that it's made him a tiny bit uncomfortable. And so how do you how would you coach me through working with this guy and because I feel like the reason why I've taken a step taken a step back is I know over the course of time it's going to help him be a better employee. But I also feel like it's a little bit selfish on my part because I just genuinely enjoy this. Like I genuinely want to have him as a friend. I want to know about him. I want to find ways to impact him. Um, not just for the business, just because I don't know. <laughs> I just love this stuff, right? But what what can I do to to help that situation out? So. I mean, I don't think I can coach you here now, but I can. What I'm hearing out of this is a number of points. I mean, um, so okay, how do I answer this one now? How would I start? Okay, let's start with the concept of like you know, ex, you know, don't forget you can experiment. Mm-hmm. Firstly, mm-hmm. Um, one aspect of coaching, um, as you gain hours of coaching individuals and people, is. Um, one of the things you learn as a coach, and I think it's a very powerful tool, is learning to vocalize your emotions and say, look, currently I feel, this could be something to try tomorrow, next week, and say, look, currently I feel that I'm um, infringing your, you know, your lines, or I'm getting too close, you know, your personal space is maybe infringed because I'm getting too far, could we have that talk? So, you know, learning to vocalize your emotions and, 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 and slowly and steadily um, getting the emotions to surface from his side and, and working on that. Um, and sometimes it's important to say, take the, in that vocalization of emotion might help you to take the two steps back you need to do to slow the process down a bit. That's firstly what could be happening. Another way of looking at it, um, if you want to, because we know in the area in psychology that empathetic provocation is the way you move mindsets. And we know that provocation 
very often is where people have moved in who they are. It's helped them move through depression, it's helped them move through any sort of behavioural disorder, it's helped them move through any sort of movement they wanted to do from being stuck in a family constellation where they are being abused by narcissistic parents. And they, and through compassion and empathy and provocation being able to move, you could do something and say, well look, um, I'm going to start doing something, I'm going to take you for a 12 kilometer walk through the city. I want to take you to some of my favorite places. I want to, and um, and he gets to see you interacting with the people you know best. You know, take him to the kindergarten where you know somebody. Take him to the marketing agency that you really love. Take him, but throughout the day, you almost like do not a workshop, but you do a workshop through your heart, because how you see the city and his perspective, and allow his brain to light up. And as his all his neural networks light up. He will start opening up naturally. Yeah. So rather than you trying to to engage with him, you allow him to feel safe in your space. Allow him to see more of myself, which would then I, I see what you're saying, which will then inevitably have him start to open up and feel more comfortable. Because what you're gonna do is inevitably the brain, if you you know, if you if the brain is continuously looking for new experiences. It's it's the brain is in 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 its flow when it's in a, in in the state of change. Yeah, that is when that is what the brain was made for by nature, and by three hundred million you know more you know billions of years of evolution, the brain state is to be ready for change. Yeah, and if you can take him safely to an environment where you visit four or five places, your favorite cafe where you always drink your coffee, your favorite sort of you know company where you go look you know um, you know you talk to the CEO you go through this you walk through the company for an hour and then you move on to the next thing but you walk and you walk and you walk interesting and then the person what starts happening there is like you're opening up you're giving yeah and then what happens naturally in the other person's brain will be a you know maybe after a couple of weeks well they'll start giving as well yeah so pull or instead of like throwing it on them just start giving but in a different context yeah it's all about changing the context that does make a lot yeah. of sense see so that's, that's that's what that's what you triggered in me now so if i was to vocalize my emotion now is that you triggered those two points in me and i just said to you know so i'm expressing to you not to coach you not to show that i know better but showing you how what experience you gave me by sharing that experience with you let me ask you this, because um, I want to I want to hit on a couple topics here that I know you're passionate about. What are what are your seven myths of uh, human performance? I don't want to switch the gears too much, but I definitely want to make sure that we we cover some of the things that, that I've I know been working you're... on. I mean, there, there's you know I, I don't think I can name all seven now because um, I, 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 I I'll give you they're just simple things very 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 often that. One of the biggest things I, I, I found is um, that we as humans are terrible at evaluating others. We can't. And the data and the research has continuously pointed out that I cannot evaluate you based on an external benchmark. What do you I'm mean? Expand on rating myself. Yeah, what that do you mean? Mark. I'm always rating myself. If I try to rate you against an external benchmark, I will end up rating myself. Interesting. So that's, 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 we've been looking at that for, for 80 plus years and, um, and we're still driving this concept that because I've got, because I'm more senior than you, um, that I can rate you better because of my experience. Nope, I can't. And I'll do a terrible job at it. So how, um, how, how should, how should that happen? 
Well, the best way of doing it, and it's a very simple way, is by saying, well, look, in the last hour or so, Anthony, um, could you just give me some feedback on how you have experienced me? Now, the interesting thing is your personal experience is subjectively more reliable than me trying to rate you. Hmm. Okay. And that gets people. That gets people because you're thinking, what? I'm thinking, look, there is no authentic experience. All experiences are authentic. So if you experience something, I go, well, I didn't feel it was that experience. I thought it was this. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. If Anthony's experience of a situation was mental and crazy, then that's reality and it's just as authentic as your experience as the rational leader. Mm-hmm. The person who's got 30 years of experience. Yeah. What's uh, what's what's another? Do you have another one that you can? Yeah, that um, giving feedback once every quarter or once a year doesn't work. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it needs to be continued because the more complex the environment gets, and um, what we said before, the learning cycle has to be faster. The capacity in the individual of learning has to be better. Mm-hmm. Being able to eliminate information to make better decisions has to be better. So mm-hmm. that is one. Mm-hmm. And then the concept of feedback is broken in performance. So I just don't think you can... I think the concept of sandwiching feedback breaks people. I'm going to give you some great feedback now, Anthony. I think you've done point one, point two, point three brilliantly. And now let me give you the negative feedback. Yeah, please. Point six, point five, point four. That screws people up. Don't sandwich that sort of feedback. There's no technique or model of giving feedback. People just hate it. And if you think, if you measure the amount, if you start measuring the stress and the dread, the people, the leaders that have to give this feedback like this and the people receiving it, there's no difference in the level of stress in the body. So I'm your team report, Anthony. I am just in, when you try to give me feedback in my quarterly review session, I'm just going through the same amount of stress as you are trying to give me that feedback. Yeah. It puts people in very uncomfortable position. So let's stop it, because it doesn't work. Yeah. So then it gives you like, oh God, so what do we do if we can't give feedback? The whole world wants some feedback. Look, what we do know is there's one thing all physicists around the world agree upon. There's one thing we know, that when two particles come together and interact, something new happens. That's the one part of physics that we all agree on. Yeah. So if two humans come into a room and they're able to interact, what can we do so the new is created? Yeah. Then make that the structure of your talk. And as part of that, what will happen is all the questions you will ask is you will move from the concept of feedback to feed forward. That will, is what will happen. You'll start, you stop using the past tense. Oh, I saw in the last three months you did, and you did this and this and this, Anthony. No, maybe it's like, Anthony, do you know what? With this one customer, and what could we do so we actually get them to be a partner? Because I think they've got the ability to be a partner. Interesting. And now what happens is then the whole idea of like, what if you've done an error? We've done a mistake in the last three months. Well, that's not part of feedback. That's not part of the feedback talk you have. Let me ask you this. Is this a myth? I know there are... um, Now, our company isn't large enough. And I guess it doesn't have to be necessarily large. I'm assuming... All right, so let me, I guess, break it down. I'm assuming large companies 
more or less conduct surveys due to the amount of people they had, like the pure volume, right? You have a company of 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 employees. How do you get this feedback, right? Because from where I'm sitting, I've always said, if I run a team of of 150 people or less, uh, I'm going to only use a survey to lay the foundation and then I'm going to take those surveys and then engage in one by one by one conversations over the course of three months or two months or however long it takes me to get to all 150 but I I believe I'm going to do that um, okay I think that's a, it's a that's a really good question number I mean that's the, one of the other myths that a lot of these surveys are measuring outcomes by measuring outcomes you can work out how a system can perform better wrong it's a myth you don't measure engagement. It doesn't, by measuring how engaged people are, doesn't help you. So you're measuring the wrong thing. So we know that if I measure how engaged you are as an athlete, does it make you better or worse? So what are athletes measuring to make them better? Yeah. What does a, what does a top coach sport do with someone like Serena Williams to keep her in her flow to be one of the best, if not the best tennis player we've ever had in the history of tennis playing ever? Yeah male or female yeah Um, and believe you me it's not about keeping her engaged she brings that (laughs) do you yeah I mean so now that's the one part of the survey so survey should not measure outcome and now the next mistake happens is this if you're measuring to evaluate you'll screw up yeah a survey does not provide you any data to evaluate other people on or the system on what the data provides is a point at which you can start a conversation. And the, you should have two conversations. I agree with you, you could have the individual conversation. I don't think that matters today. I think individual performance is dead. Okay. It doesn't make any difference. What I think you need to have a conversation is with that, is with the teams. Because I find the new organization is the team. Okay. And then you've got to look at, well, if the teams are struggling, then you don't fix the teams. You then have to realize that your container is broken in which the teams move. Okay. So fix the container. So if there's one thing you do with a survey is learn to measure the environment with your survey and then fix the environment. And then you could also then do small surveys for the teams to see if they're in flow or not. What's stopping them from being able to, you know, find the intensity and quality and energy to move in a direction that is helpful for them, brings them value and builds value for the company through revenue. Now, you know what I thought? You know what I was thinking? I was thinking when I first heard about and understood surveys, and I've done a few with other companies that I've worked for in the past, um, I always thought these employees are going to bullshit this. (laughs) They don't feel like spending the next 20, 25 minutes answering these 20, 30, 40, 10 questions, whatever the case is going to be. Yes, no way. You you disagree that they're going to bullshit? No, no, I think it's terrible what we're doing there. 60, 70, 40 questions. You're wasting an hour of my life. Yes. I hate them. How, well, my question to you is, well, my, my gut feeling was this. The reason why I'm bullshitting these questions, number one, you're taking an hour of my life, but number two, the connection and the, in, in the, the, the respect level and just the, like, I'm thinking in my head, if I have a deep connection level, an emotional connection with uh, a leader and... I know that that leader has my back and I have his and I know that he cares about my family, my perspectives, my career. And he and if he really wants me to, to spend the next 30 minutes and answer the survey, I'll do it with a little bit more of a 
a sense of authenticity than I would with another leader that I just genuinely know there's no relationship there, there's no connection. Is that fair, or or should we just go completely for like just completely throw away the whole uh, survey? I don't. Thing? I don't think there's either or here. I yeah. think what it is, where the reason that is happening is because we're not measuring what matters. People don't care about what we're asking. Yeah. That's what it is. It doesn't matter if there's a leader there. They, you know, they know that's got their back. That that would help. Of course, it would help. It would help a little you know, bit. Yeah. Got your back, then you can. You don't need to even answer the questions because you know you still got a job tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You don't need to improve your situation because you got maybe a special relationship with the leader. In fact, that kind of, that that could be why most people avoid you because you've got maybe um, a better relationship than you maybe should have. Yeah. Yeah, do you see what I mean? So for me, what it is, is are you measuring what matters? Are you collecting data that really helps you to make decisions going forward? And I think that's the issue. So if people are doing what they're doing and trying to answer, and they're just copying and pasting the answers into this, this questionnaire or just doing it really nearly, or, um, then, then you stop the survey because you're waking up expectations you don't need in your organization. Yeah. Do a survey if you're going to act on it. And if you're going to do a survey, then maybe you want to ask maybe two really fundamental aspects well look one of the biggest issues we've got is we see our market moving really fast and we're not innovating well maybe maybe because the conditions we're creating in the organization are not helping our people to learn and grow because when people learn and grow they innovate so maybe we've got to do maybe four or five questions around learning and growing do you feel you have a sense of accomplishment do you feel you're being challenged do you feel you are being able you have space to create the new I mean, maybe those three questions. Get that data. And once you've got that data, start the conversations in yeah. the places that need to have the conversation so we create the conditions so people start learning and growing. You and should... then once you work on that for six, seven, seven, eight months, look at the next challenge you've got. But don't try and create a survey that tries to fix everything in one go because no. you can't. Yeah. That's interesting. Choose a core three questions that you know are going to spark the mind and then take those answers and start and then build them around what you're talking about the leading indicator is always emotion but don't use the word emotion say sense of accomplishment sense of something do you feel you can and then you'll get to the bottom of it and then the thing is once you visualize it people will start the conversation without you even having to ask the question you'll get going and what they'll do is they'll throw you back what you need to change in the system as a leader and then your job as a leader is to change the system interesting because people can't be people can't be better than the rules of the system. If the rules of the system are shit, they'll be shit. I can't make you more resilient in a shit culture. And what makes the culture? The rules of the game that set up that system. Interesting. Let me do this. Because I want to I want to make a part two. I've got four minutes on my computer. <laughs> you got four more minutes? No, four, 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 four percent. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say here. Um... Is there anything that you want to leave this with? I know there's going to be a part two, a part three. I, I know we're going to have another conversation. Um, well, I don't know. Every Talking to you, Anthony, you just made me think of the book that really changed my life as a young person. And that person came from America. That, that woman changed the way I looked at the world as a little young man in London. And the book was um, about two children and a dad. And it was called To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, that's a great book. Uh, um, by Atticus Finch. And I would you call it? No, no, no. That was the, the lawyer's name. Who wrote the book? Now I've forgotten it. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Mm-hmm. And she changed my life as an um, 11, 12 year old boy walking through the streets of London and realizing that 
I need to get underneath the skin of every individual I meet and get to know them. Yeah. And and even and, and like that I can help the world to connect and bond with each other. So interesting. So yeah, so if you're gonna if you're gonna do something, um if you haven't looked at that book for a while, pick up that book because I think I'm going to go back and pick it up again. I was going to say, I, mean, I, that's, I probably that's what, should. That's what you've inspired me to do, to go and pick that book up again and, have, and, and read a couple of pages again. I was going to say, we should now read it as as adults, right? It, probably the perspective of it, the, the themes, wow. the, the value. Yes. That's what this talk has done for me today. I love it. I'm glad I was able to inspire you. Um, well, let me do this because I know you're about, to, you're about to die on me here, the computer. Um, two minutes, two percent. <laughs> let's... Uh, you know I'm going to connect with you back in a little bit here. Um, I'm going to reach out to you, and I really appreciate everything. Thank you for my chance to give me the opportunity and allowing me to just voice what my thoughts, are, my feelings, and my experiences with you. A hundred percent. We'll talk soon. Take care, Anthony. Take care. What's going on guys? Anthony here. Just wanted to make this intro because um, one of the episodes that you're about to listen to, me and this amazing, amazing, amazing guest just jumped right into a really thoughtful, really impactful, really emotionally intelligent conversation around all things parenthood, all things leadership, all things emotional intelligence, employee experience, engagement, and just flat out how you can truly help your employees utilize this common sense when it comes to leadership and really help your organization grow, really help your business um, make more money and make more better, you know, better decisions business-wise, but more importantly, just create an amazing environment and an amazing company, an amazing community that um, you can be proud of. So enjoy this episode. Hope I was able to get you guys pumped up and fired up and excited about this. Enjoy. Enjoy.